You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub Podcast. We are joined by El Paso Locomotive defender, Drew Becky. Welcome to the show, Drew. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Um, and we're also joined by our regular barfly, uh, Carlos Benitez. Welcome again to the show, Carlos. Well, thanks, Anthony. And thank you, Drew, for being part of uh, this episode. We're uh, thrilled to have you here. Oh, it's an honor. Honor to, to be with my fellow Canadians on a, on a podcast. <laughs> Never say no to that. Of course, so, of course. <laughs> so, so the first question I have, like, uh, obviously, um, you've you've been through a lot. So uh, we'll try not to like drag it out too much for you, but uh, we, we have to talk about it. So I. Uh, a documentary has been made about you called Still Defending, just about obviously like you've had some health issues. Um, so my first question is like, how did the documentary come about? Yeah, uh, there were some guys, uh, you remember obviously the NASL, there were, there were guys that, that worked at the headquarters in New York and um, they had come down to, I'd gotten to know them when I played in Carolina and Ottawa and uh, finally in Jacksonville and they'd come down and done some interviews and they were in charge of all the video for the league and stuff like that. And uh, a guy named Matt Levine and, and George, they've just been really, really nice, nice guys. And um, they, when they'd heard about it, I, I hadn't really put it out on any social media. I didn't want any recognition of it. Um, and so when they uh, heard about the GoFundMe that my sister started, they said, okay, well, this looks like a good story would you be willing to let us come down and document it or, you know, follow you around for a bit? And I, I, I told them no at first. I just didn't really, I was, I was upset that I might not be able to play. I didn't really think it would be something that, uh, I just wasn't ready for it. So, uh, you know, but then they kept persisting and I say, okay, you know, it's not about me. It's about other people and seeing, you know, uh, getting awareness for the, for myocarditis and, and to have that because I think it is very uh, underdiagnosed and, um, a bigger problem than we may know about. So it was, uh, I was really, th- you know, in the end, I'm really thankful to them for, for doing it and then spending their own dime to, to uh, get this up and going. And hopefully, you know, my big thing is I hope it brings them some more, some more jobs and more projects. Oh, it's, it's, it's such, it's so professionally done. It's amazing. Like I really, it's such an inspiring story as well. Um, so how did you, how did you cope with having these people follow? Cause there's like there's some, there's some bits where you can kind of see you're like a little bit uncomfortable with the whole thing. Like, so how, how did you cope with it all? Well, there's this thing I learned, it's called B-roll. And it's basically where you can yeah. see it in some of the, the, the scenes where you just, I'm walking down a road or, I'm walking at the University of Denver and I'm just sitting there and I'm just kind of uncomfortable, but I know, understand that's how you, you know, you fill the time when there's an interview or whatever. So that was, that was interesting to get used to. So I learned, I learned something about that, but no, it was great to have them. You know, when I was visiting my mom, so I think when did they come, they came right before Christmas. So I was visiting my mom and luckily my mom has a bigger place. We were able to just, 
you know, I said to either guys, you know, I'll pay for your hotel or whatever. And they flew out from New York to Denver and spent a couple of days there while I was doing some training at the university. And yeah, it turned out to be really, really good. And they were able to come out to Jacksonville right when I was coming back to playing. And you can see a much skinnier version of me in, that, in those videos. Uh, but it was a really nice time to have them and uh, to be able to, you know, have that, that documented a little bit was pretty cool. Speaking yeah. of B-roll, I, I saw those, uh, they make me hungry, that chicken that you were making yeah. with the veggies. <laughs> I, I, I was, I'm craving one now, so you better, you better share the recipe. <laughs> yeah, I'll come up to you guys and then cook it for you. That, that, was one of my, that was one of my favorite parts of the whole thing, was the awkward you, like, trying to work out where to put the chicken back into the fridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't know. I, I had just moved into that apartment. That I didn't know. I didn't know where anything went. So. It was a, it was a wrong door. He meant to put it in the freezer. Yeah, uh, right. in the fridge, right? I, I freaked out. I just put it in. Yeah. So, 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 so obviously, like through the like as I said, it is a very inspiring story. Like I mean, you have been through a lot. God bless you, and you've come through it like as like a trooper and stuff. But like. How did how did it make you feel? Like there, there's some colleagues of yours that were on the, the on the documentary who said some really great things about you. Like like you know like Mark was talking about how you were always the best of the banter in the dressing room, and you had like Macklin on there and all that kind of stuff. How, how did it make you feel like hearing your your peers and your colleagues like like talk that way about you? Yeah, it's very nice. It's it's very nice. Um, it makes me a bit uncomfortable. Those are things that uh, uh, I take very, you know, right to heart, and it means a lot to me. I'm, I always say I'm not in the game for, for you know, playing the games or even sometimes the sport. It's more for the guys and, and doing something together. And, and uh, luckily, I've been able to do that in a lot of places, and I've, I've really enjoyed that. I think it's better to to be in different markets and different cities all around the world and learn from different people than maybe a one club player and I'm not saying being a one club player is bad, but uh, to meet the, the people I have and to experience all those things has been, that's the best part of the game. And that's what I really missed while I was out. And uh, so for them to say those things, it really is, it, it's what I'll remember. And it, it means a lot to me, a lot of lifelong friends. So that's, that's the most important part. Just before I hand it to Carlos, uh, like we'll, we'll get into like your condition like a little bit, a little bit more later on. But there was a really interesting part in in the in the documentary where you were leaving Jacksonville and you were going to uh, was it Oklahoma, um, yeah. where you're kind of saying goodbye to the guys and stuff like that. That's something that we rarely see as fans. Like you know, when we just see the transfer news, we don't see the actually. Mm -hmm. uh, how hard is it? Like like when you found out that you were leaving Jacksonville and, and transferring or getting the move, like. What, what 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 emotions go like are you in your head going like oh, i'm gonna miss the guys or is it like you just kind of part of the game and you move on yeah that was a that was an interesting one anthony because at the time jacksonville the the club was not anywhere close to what it had been the year before or the years prior it was a mpsl team they're all new guys there was only a few that i knew um but obviously coming back i got to know them pretty well and um Coming back and Mark offering me, you know, fifteen hundred bucks a month plus an apartment was it could have been to me it sounded like a million dollars because nobody really wanted to to touch me after the you know the heart condition and and understandably I, I get that um, so he took a chance and being able those guys all lived really close to me so we were all together all the time and uh, when you're living close to guys or you have guys in the same apartment which I really wasn't used to I I most of the time had been living by myself in a house or an apartment. It was a it was a great time, and for them to support me through that comeback was uh, key. And and you saw a bit of that there in the documentary, and and saying bye to them. But 
I, I knew that uh, this was the next natural progression. I had gotten back to fitness. I had, um, you know, kind of rekindled the skills that I had before and it, I had to make a move and to go to Oakland city, I was um, blessed to have that option. So uh, I, I wouldn't say sad is the right word, but I was excited to, to go to a new place and I had never played in the USL before. So it was all new to me. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It helped me get back on track and I'm, I'm uh, really uh, blessed, you know, and, and lucky that I had them come in and, and want me to come in, you know, and play. And, and that got me, you know, back, back on track. This is more uh, kind of like related to the documentary. Uh, probably my only question in regards to that one, because Anthony covered pretty much kind of like the similar questions that I have. So Ray might think so like, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to the documentary, I feel like, for example, for me, doing the pod, like I don't listen. I hate listening to myself after the interview when it's edited, like I try to listen to the episodes that I'm not in so I can just like review them. So I, I hate I'm listening to you as well, man, to be honest. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But you're still keeping me. So my question is, my question is more like uh, when you finally see the piece of the documentary all edited and before, obviously, like before they launch it, like to the public online, you, you were able to see it like, what? Well, how was it like? What was that emotion that happened for you when you see all this masterpiece of all you've been through? You know, like finally yeah. put all together in mm-hmm. forty-five and something minutes. You mm-hmm. know, how was it? How was you, your first reaction after that? Like, was that a self-reflective? If you can uh, share yeah, more, that's that a great question, Carlos. I'm, I'm like you. I don't like seeing myself on. Uh, on television or in a, in a document, let alone a documentary that's just about mm-hmm. myself. It's not uh, something that makes me comfortable, but yeah, I really didn't know what angle or how they were going to approach it. I just, mm-hmm. um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And so you're looking at certain interviews that you do at the time. And, and I'm like, why did I say that? Or why did I say it that way? And you don't think about those things when you're, when you're getting taped because that was almost, you know, I guess almost three years ago now. And mm-hmm. that's, it seems in the moment you just you're saying what you're feeling and I would say some of the uh, vocabulary or I felt like I did wasn't articulating myself in a, in a great way um, but you know I don't I there's nothing I can do about it now I'm, I'm very happy with how they did it and yeah. uh, very grateful to them uh, you, to see how you know it being filmed and then how they regurgitated into different mm-hmm. views and I had I didn't know all the people that they had interviewed so mm-hmm. I was kind of like you guys when I saw it for the first time I was like oh okay I didn't know they were doing that and um and I'm, I'm appreciative that I don't need to be involved in how they do it I'm mm-hmm. not gonna put in control like let me see it first and let's edit it no yeah you do you're it the ta- way you you're the talent your project right? You're, you're, the ta- you're the talent. That's what you can call yourself now, the talent. You don't care about that stuff, you know? You just show oh, up, I, I go just, to your trailer. <laughs> right. They, they're spending their time and money to to do this project. I'm not going to be the one, just because it's about me, I'm not going to be the one to tell them how to do it. That's, yeah. I don't need to be seen in a, a light that makes me look flattering. I, I don't, it, that's not, mm-hmm. It's about the story of myocarditis. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. It could have happened to anybody. So... Um, Again, that, it was, uh, I'm happy with how they did it. After that, after it was launched, the, the people that suffer the same condition that you had and overcome this, have they reached out to you, like, you know, like telling you, like, you, it's, you have been a big inspiration for us, 
or like I've been experiencing the same thing? Do you have any tip? Do you get a lot of messages from people that, that were in your situation? Yeah, even before the document came out, um, I was at the uh, Mayo Clinic, and the Mayo Clinic has, mm -hmm. and you saw uh, the doctor on there, and uh, yeah. the connection the Mayo Clinic has with all the patients has been a really great, um, you know, circle of community with the Myocarditis Foundation, and I've, mm -hmm. I've, um, I've received some beautiful messages from people, uh, and I'm happy that this story inspires them and mm -hmm. they inspire me as well. Uh, you know, I've also heard a lot of sad stories that, you know, mothers and fathers who have lost their ch children or brothers or fathers or, or mothers. It's just, mm -hmm. it's a very, I don't want to say it's a disease. It's not a disease. It's a, an occasion that happens in mm -hmm. the body that is, uh, unexpected. And mm -hmm. I think unexpected death will always be harder than, you know, say, I, I take this with a grain of salt. You know, if you if you have somebody with cancer and you know you are you're expecting that you're expecting this. You're um, there's preparing a, yourself. Correct. There's a pre preparation for death, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I'm you know experiencing that with my father and him passing away over four years, knowing that he was going to his death. I don't want to say it was. Well, I want to say it. It was easier to to ultimately deal with and mm -hmm. to ultimately have a good outcome from other mm -hmm. than if somebody uh you know you lose your brother or your mother in a car crash I, I can't imagine what it feels like to to not be able to prepare yourself and mm -hmm. so that kind of goes into the to not go off on a tangent here but the the mm -hmm. messages that I received were heartbreaking in a lot of ways and um you know for them to see a positive outcome mm -hmm. maybe that that helped them a bit and I I'm I'm grateful for that part of the documentary. That's the biggest, the biggest thing. And uh, so, yeah, there's been a lot of connection that way. And uh, I hope that that continues. This is great. Um, this is a great story. And, and we're, we're really honored that, that you're here sharing, sharing this, you know, I know you shared before with media, but like we, we really appreciate for oh. your, your honesty and everything, because I feel like if somebody's listening and, and suffering, like this should be like very motivational and inspirational so i feel like it's really good and and I, i personally thank you for that and like moving forward to more unexpected things i see that in 2013 you play for columbus crew if i'm not mm -hmm. correct you play with federico wayne which is the brother of uh, uh gonzalo wayne so how was it you get a chance to meet um gonzalo or like do you ask federico how's your brother you know like you know <laughs> yeah yeah of course pipa as we call them or pipa pipa yeah, yeah. Um, pipa when we you know when i arrived he was really still learning english and, mm -hmm. and so with my decent knowledge of spanish we we connected pretty well and uh what a player he is what a guy he is actually gonzalo did come to training one time you know, they had their summer break. They had their summer break. So he was, I believe, at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he was still at Real Madrid. I think he still was. Yeah, I think that's incredible. He I, was I at his so. prime in 13 because, yeah. like, the Argentina went to the final in Brazil 2014. So kind of like 2012 and 13 was uh, Pipa's prime right. in football. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, – you know, Gonzalo came to training one day, watched training, and um, my year in Columbus wasn't, it personally wasn't the greatest. It was, I came into a situation that I think was, there was a lot of transition, there was a lot of turmoil, you know, the uh -huh. coaching staff was fired halfway through, 
if you know if I could go back, it wouldn't be the greatest place to enter the MLS. But I'm I'm very glad I had that experience there, and it really taught me a lot. And to be a part of a group like that with Chad Marshall and 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 Pipa and to learn from those guys was was really great. And um, again, got to know Pipa really well. And now seeing him do interviews, he's he's fully fluent, and he really committed to that because <laughs> it's not easy. No. It's not easy, and uh, he's really been. A uh, very underrated player, I think, in MLS. It, it's hard, you know. You have to train. I always, I never evaluate a player unless I'm training with them. You can play against them in a game, yes, <laughs> but you need to train with them day in and day out. And no one works harder than him. He always wore these classic Copa Mundials that were blacked out, and it was a nice, he was just a, a retro guy that uh, was kind of old school but so good. Looked older than he was, but he could still move and. He's still, obviously, you could see he's scoring goals the other day for D.C. United. So a really, really great guy and a, a great experience in Columbus, yeah. I like that because uh, you said something that normally as a fan, we don't see that, you know, because sometimes we question that, that coaches, why he's playing if we know that this guy in the bench is better. But we forgot that the day-to-day, -day, these guys, like, as a crew, you guys are training together, right? So you mm -hmm. guys are seeing stuff that the fans, we don't see. We only judge by the 90 minutes that we see in the game on TV and you know at the moment that we watch it like everybody is a soccer analyst you know what yeah. I mean but we don't we don't know what it is like inside like you know behind the doors mm -hmm. how is it training and everything so I like what you said there just go for it Anthony going back on your career there a little bit like uh, you, you also played for the, the, the Fury how was your time in, in, in Ottawa did you, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I loved it. I loved my time. It was a perfect place for me to go after the tumultuous year in, in Columbus um, <laughs> where you know I was, you know, 21 years old, still learning, you know, how to be a pro coming out of university. I, I don't regret going to university. I learned a lot there. But, uh, you know, being a pro earlier on when you're 18 or 19 makes such a difference than uh, when you're 21. And you always think, you know, going into a club like that, a good, you know, story club like Columbus, you think, you know, you're sitting on the bench, you think, oh, I can do that job. I can do the job better maybe than that guy's doing. Or, but you, you don't – the thing I learned, and this is invaluable – and if any young kids are playing, you know, the players that have been playing in the league, whatever it is, maybe five, ten years, whatever it is, experience can't be taught in one day. You know, players may have up and down games. You know, the, the best advice I, I got is never be a ten, never be a one. You got to be a six, seven, or eight every day. And uh, I was still learning how to do that. There were days that were better than others. And... Uh, Going to the Fury was a time, you know, being 21, 22, I, I got games right away. I learned. I got the mistakes out. I learned how to play. I was learning from Mark DeSantos, who is, is a fantastic coach, learning from Richie, learning from other guys that had experience that I didn't. And so to get games that, that quickly in my career was, was invaluable. And uh, to be a part of a project like that that was successful over two years was was really awesome. Yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, Richie there. Like uh, we've obviously had him on the show there, but it's kind of when you when you talk to people and like Richie's a really humble guy, and he kind of you know he'll talk up everybody else he plays with, but and he obviously wouldn't talk about himself kind of thing. But uh, everybody like I've kind of talked to like said that he's a he's an incredible player. We talked to a couple of lads from FC Edmonton who played against him and stuff. What, what's he like day to day? Like uh, as Carlos says, you don't we don't get to see that part of it. Uh, what's Richie like day to day? And uh, did you purposely go to El Paso to hang out with him again? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that did have a uh, a big impact. Richie, obviously, as you, as I'm sure you would you would think, is a yeah, 
he's a professional day in day out and he's just so his vision is so good he's seeing that you know you talk about from your coaches see the one pass ahead but he already knows way before anybody else he can play around the corner and he doesn't have to move much he's a number six that you want in there all the time because I know as a center back or from playing right back whatever I know there's going to be a pass to him if there's somebody on his back I'll still give it to him because he'll he'll know what to do with it moving people in in different directions you know coming to so you can open up other passing lanes he's an invaluable player and uh you know he is getting older but he can still play with the best of them um and it's important that people know how good of a person he is and uh how much he cares about others that's a you know he he will he is a humble guy and he doesn't want to talk about himself but you got a guy that played for in the Premier League at 18 years old. And most people don't understand that. And people say like, oh, you know, what happened? Why are you still there? What's going on? And, and that's not really fair to say because there's so many things in football that happen that are not in your control. He has had such a great career. And for him to come over to choose to come to Ottawa in that time was, was a risk. And he did a great job. And obviously you can see he killed it in the years following, you know, at, at Jacksonville and in Miami. And he's just a, a really really great guy and, and undervalued, I think, especially in the U.S. Cincinnati really made a mistake not keeping him. And, uh, but, you know, he's, he's got such a future ahead in, in coaching, in whether he becomes a coach or an agent. He just has a vision for the game that is unlike most players. And um, I really – it was a big – yeah, it was a big reason to come to El Paso. Uh, my time in Oklahoma City had, had run its course – and, you know, luckily I came into a situation where El Paso needed a defender and to play for Mark again was... So, how, how, speaking of Mark, like, how was he as a coach? Like, um, obviously, he was in the documentary and he was kind of saying great things about you and stuff like that. But, I mean, like, what's he like himself? Because, obviously, you went back to El Paso to, to work with him again. Like, um, mm-hmm. but what, what's, he, what's he like as a, as a coach? He's great. He's, um, he's, a, he's a tactician guy. He's, uh, he's obsessed with the game. He really is. He's obsessed with the game more than I've seen a lot of people. He puts in the hours. He does the dirty work. He, he just does things the right way. Um, in training, he'll, you'll know exactly what you need to do, how to play. You know, playing out of the back is a, is a rare thing you see in, in U.S. professional soccer. And, and we're committed to doing that. You know, in the last game after being out for four months, we gave up a goal for the first time. And, you know, that just, that stuff happens, you know, and, and I think there's people that'll look at that one clip and say to Mark, like, oh, this is just naive. You guys shouldn't be doing this. You don't have the players for that. No, we have all the players for that. It just happens sometimes. And, you know, you got to have the, uh, the confidence to do it each time. And he really presses it upon everybody that this is how we're going to play. We're going to get, we're going to play out everything where we can get up the field and, and he sticks to his guns and that's, uh, that's hard to do. Because a lot of coaching spots in the U.S., whether it's MLS, USL, they can just exchange and interchange all the time. It's, uh, it's not like the Premier League where these guys are getting paid out big sums of money to, to be fired. No, you know, some coaches are making good money, yes, but it's not like you, you lose your job here, you can find one quickly. You know, there's not a Tony Pulis running around. There's not a, you know... <laughs> All these type of things, it doesn't happen in in, uh, in U.S. sports, so or specifically in soccer. Um, but he's he's got a long career ahead of him. He's still young. He's only 34, 35. So, but I, I don't see he's him. He's younger than Richie. I don't see him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Richie's older than him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but his maturity is, is great, and 
yeah, I look forward to him having a, a big job soon. And he's done a really good job in El Paso. And, and luckily the club is financially well off and they're supporting uh, him and what he wants to do and, and who he wants to get. And they're in a unique spot here with some of the Mexican players. They're just so good that they can bring in specifically from FC Juarez and Liga MX. And so it's, it's a good future here. It's a, it's a good place. So if we ever see Tony Pulis get a job in the MLS, they're all in trouble, huh? <laughs> right, yeah. Well, his son, is, his son is still, you know, coaching somewhere here, so. <laughs> the son of Pulis. It feels, it feels like a, an awful movie, the son of Pulis. So, <laughs> so, so obviously, like, you, like, the El Paso only kind of started, like, last year, right? So you played in the MLS, so you kind of know how that professional kind of club works. How does El Paso uh, rank alongside uh, Columbus? as in the setup and the professionalism? It's right there. We have our own training facility, two beautiful fields, uh, our own locker room. The coaches have their own locker room, two different buildings. It's, it's very much the same. And that, that's, not, that's not the same in every USL market. You know, we have owners that own a, a league MX team. So the money is, is kind of silly. That, you know, and they're restricted in some of the ways that they can spend it. But um, I would put it on par with an MLS type of uh budget that way you know obviously they're going to spend more on dps and stuff like that but uh uh you know they may have their own chef or something like that that we don't have but we don't need that we get food and um have you, everything can, cook, you can cook right yeah i can cook it. There's, <laughs> yeah there's a kitchen there they supply the food we just yeah we eat it so chicken example, and veggies like tomorrow yeah. yeah we'll be at the stadium we'll train and train at the stadium because we play friday and then Afterwards, we, you know, we have a very nice locker room, nice recovery facility, uh, and then we'll go up and have lunch and, and do tactical stuff for the game the next day. And, you know, it's the same as it would be in MLS. You know, uh, I'd say the difference maybe is, you know, salaries and travel. Maybe they get some charter flights, but we fly nice everywhere. There's nice buses. There's not much of a difference. No. So do, you, do you ever, like, pinch yourself? Like, when you're, you know, obviously you pinch a lot, right? But, uh, you know... When you get up in the morning and you're 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 driving to, to work and you get to paid to play football, like do you ever just be like, wow, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need to do it more often. I think I had a newfound uh, sense of gratitude when I was out of it for a while and working at a car dealership and doing valet. And there's nothing to say. Uh, it was blue collar work. I enjoyed it. Uh, I learned a lot, but I was also very thankful to be able to play and earn a living doing this. And uh, you always want more, you know, you always want to push for how can I improve this? How can I uh, get better? How can I go to a different team? You know, those type of things. But being focused in the moment with the team you're at is the best thing to do. And you can't really worry about anything else, you know, um, you know, not being selected for things or not being at a certain club. You can't think about that. You're, you're playing at your club. You have to be the best you can. You're here for a reason. You have to show your quality and, and, uh, that's the big thing that we have to remember day in and day out. And some are better than others, right? But, uh, Especially yeah. in a position that you play because you're a defender. So I feel like it's a high rank position that everybody expects more, right? Because the, the keepers and the, uh, the goalkeeper and the defenders are the first one that, like, you notice more the errors, you know? You can concede mm -hmm. goals. It could be a mistake that happened in, 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 in three-thirds of the pitch of the midfield. But who is a poster boy always like to blame or either the defenders or either the goalkeeper, right? So yeah. it's kind of like a hard, a hard position, you know? 
Now you yeah, I always I always say when there's new uh, or younger players ask, I said, be a forward. If you can, be a forward or be a number ten. <laughs> because you know, being a defender, you get paid less and you, you take all the crap. It so, is true. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, you have to 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 have you know speaking specifically about El Paso when we want him to play out. You have to have the confidence to connect those passes, and uh, you know I've, I've learned a lot that way. You know, uh, I luckily haven't had a lot of gaffes that way. I'd say the you know the PK we gave up the other night, that was a foul on Richie. But I put my hand up, I went to block, and then there was a PK. So I don't think I don't take those things as bad things. I take them as learning, learning things, and uh, you know it is what it is. What it is. I don't think more of it than that. Um, but back to your original question. Yeah, there are, I guess, times where, you know, you feel there should be more recognition or something like that, but I don't really think about those type of things. There are some players that are like that. I, I could care less. Um, you always have personal ambitions and what you want, but you can't control a lot of those things. So you have to control what you can. I connect my passes, try and read the game as much as I can, get the ball to the players who scored the goals, and, and that's really my job. Uh, and uh, playing within yourself is is an important thing to learn as a player. This is more uh, going to 2015. I see that you receive an award for humanitarian year. Uh, it was a humanitarian year award. That's the award that you receive, if I'm not mistaken. Can you tell us more about this? Yeah, um, that was really nice to receive that. But uh, again, that was just part of uh, support from the club to start something that I had wanted to. Mm -hmm. to do and I had uh, I, I was injured a bit that year so I had more time on my hands to kind of be hands-on and it was a um, a group called or program called wings and the great thing about being back in Canada and that maybe in the United States doesn't really exist is the government support of, of programs and getting um, grants and stipends for for certain things and, and wings stands for walking in grief shadow and that was really a program to help start bring kids and families together who had lost a parent for whatever reason, not specifically to say cancer or whatever. It was just to get a group together to talk about mental health and to work some through some stuff where maybe families couldn't afford to get a personal therapist and not to say that I was a therapist in any manner, but mm -hmm. just being able to speak to people that are in similar circumstances is, is a therapy mm -hmm. and is a really, wonderful thing where you leave or I personally left uh, with such um, gratitude and, and almost happiness that we could connect on that level. And, and there were people in different stages of grief. Mm -hmm. uh, that was tough, but for them to come to a game free and they get the tickets, they sit there, enjoy the game. Afterwards, they would come underneath, kind of see what, where we, our locker room was, what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And then we sat down together for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. If they wanted to talk, uh, I was open to doing that. That was really the big thing is we were able to bring in some therapists free of charge because of these stipends. And the club really supported what I was trying to do and, and uh, really helped me have a, an audience to, to promote it, where the club, you know, put a, an email together in a, in a hotline where they could call in and say, hey, I'm interested in bringing my kids. They've been having a really tough time love to see a game and that was the whole thing of the program uh, i haven't been able to recreate it here in the states uh, yet but i hope to resurrect it soon and that was just really special something that i didn't need recognition for but something that it was a therapy for me so for being selfish it was a therapy for me too <laughs> as much as it was for them 
So I really, it was a great way to connect the game to maybe a social problem that we all deal with on a day-to-day basis. That that's pretty good, and that's that's the beautiful of soccer or football or whatever people want to call it, right? That you can do more stuff. Sometimes that it's not only sport. Like you know, you unify things that unexpected things mm-hmm. comes together with football. And uh, is that something that you see yourself? You know, after you finish your career, like doing like going to that direction? You know, like involving football and having like more social work. Mm-hmm. projects is, is that something that you see yourself doing after yeah definitely um to be honest i have no ambition to be a head coach uh, mm-hmm. I, i would be i would like being an assistant and running you know uh, drills and training helping the players through the mental side of the game you know somebody yeah. to come to because in professional sports you can't go to the coach and say you know why am i not playing or what's going on there Mm-hmm. just those things don't really translate well um and to be able to have an ear where you can have honest conversations with players and kind of uh maybe interpret what the coach is thinking of you mm-hmm. uh that's the biggest thing in sports is that sports psychology coaches have opinions yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, they may not be correct mm-hmm. they may not have an evaluation of you that's that's correct but it's they're, they're going to pick their 11 on the day and they have their reasons and you may not agree with them and that's just how football goes and you may find yourself in better situations than other clubs. Uh, but to get back to the original question, I'd, I'd love to be a GM of a club and mm-hmm. uh, bring in players, work with the head coach, do the other side of the business, um, the business of contracts and, and, you know, sponsorships and selling players that that's more attractive to me. Um, I've talked to, you know, a funny thing I've talked to Richie about starting an agency when we're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, those type of things go through your mind, you know, it's connecting players from Europe to the States. You know, the States is only going to get bigger with the world cup coming here and uh, yeah. Canada's only getting bigger with the CPL. And mm-hmm. when this virus stuff is all done, I hope that it, it jumps back up and, you know, cause I think it'll be the CPL will be big for Canada and uh, to have good players there and have those connections would be huge. It can be a lucrative sport mm-hmm. in many ways. And so there's so many jobs within the game that I would love to stay in, but Also, too, there's not a lot of uh, – there would be a lot of moving, so that's kind of one negative, you know, mm-hmm. moving to different cities. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'd love to stay in the game when I'm done playing. That's great. And this is also, like, related to the CPL. I was going to ask you, uh, what, what was your take on it? Obviously, you just uh, answered that. So what do you think – how do you see the CPL evolving, like, in a few years, taking aside the World Cup? Like, mm-hmm. you see, like, they're doing – like, I feel like they're doing, like, things the right way. Yeah, we I got agree. a spectrum team, like we got Atletico Ottawa right now. Mm-hmm. And there's rumors that uh, Saskatoon wants a team and you're from Saskatchewan. So yeah. would you consider yourself maybe, I don't know, like playing for one year before retirement, like in, in your hometown or something, if you can tell us more about that? Yeah, that's a, those are all great things. Um, yeah, I've gotten to know quite a few people that are involved in the CPL and uh, mm-hmm. there's some really you know great friends. Uh, Rob Friend at Pacific has been a really good has done a really good job at Pacific, and uh, Joe Beelan, who's trying to bring a club to Saskatoon, has uh, reached. We've talked many times, and I hope that uh, comes to fruition. I know things are a little bit iffy with all this virus going on and seeing what happens, but to have somebody like you know Atletico Madrid come in and see an investment opportunity to to re- kind of resurrect the club in Ottawa after the Fury had had left is really exciting. Uh, there's so many opportunities for younger Canadian players now. Um, and you'll see the level of play start getting better. You know, seeing Stephen Hart out by you guys. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've known Stephen a long time. He was my first coach for Canada when I was 15 years old. And 
uh, really helped me be better as a player and learned a lot from him. So having that connection is great too. I, I just, I don't see anything bad about it. I don't think they over-exaggerated the budgets. I think they were honest with what they wanted to pay. They didn't pay extravagant amounts to certain players to try and attract, you know, maybe what an MLS model does with the DPs. They just, they did well with, you know, one Canada soccer and having the game streamed, not too many teams to start out. They really did a smart job and I hope that uh, they can survive this type of downturn with the virus and, and are there for the long run. I don't foresee them going anywhere. So it's only positives, you know, seeing it from, from the States, you know, I'm, I wasn't really around them per se, but, you know, I know some of the players that played there and they didn't have anything but positive things to say. That's great. And before I pass it to Anthony, did you learn any of the one-liners of Stephen Hart? He's very famous <laughs> oh, for his one-liners. It's been so many years. <laughs> I'd have to, if I heard them again, I'm sure that I would yeah, recognize them, but... It probably had something to do with, you know, a cricket analogy or something like that. But it's always talking about cricket. <laughs> just, just before you, you, uh, you had your, your health issues, you were on your way to, to Finland. Um, how, how did that move come about? And what was the team you were actually going to sign for? Well, I, after um, knowing that the NASL, well, learning that the NASL was, in, it, it, was up in, it was up in the air. Um, and so... Uh, you know, when I was young, I had an opportunity to, to go to Germany and uh, train with some clubs with the Vancouver Whitecaps residency back in the day when Martin Nash was still playing all those guys a long time ago. And uh, not to say I have regrets about not staying there. You know, there's a lot of great players that, uh, that stayed over there and played for some clubs and we got to train and play against some, some really good teams and good young players. Um, but, you know, it just at the time, it wasn't, wasn't right for me. But I always loved Europe. I always wanted to go back there. And I made the decision that, you know, it wasn't time for me to do that. I didn't want to get hurt and not have anything, not have an education to back up. And my mom was really pushing that. So I always listened to my mom and, and just made that decision. But to, to know that there was a pedigree of players such as Owen Hargreaves that, you know, our coach had brought over, it was an attractive thing. And Germany was the place where you, obviously, you can see many examples of players developing there. And that's, I wanted to do that. And so, you know, after Jacksonville, to come back to what we were saying, after Jacksonville, we didn't know what was happening. Um, for many years, I had a co there was a coach over there named Mike Keeney, who's been in Finland for many years, and he was kind of a, a gateway to Europe. And I thought, man, this is a perfect time. You know, there's a, there's a good pre-contract offer. Uh, let's just go see how it is. And there's a team called Cups. And for many years, they've had a lot of success. Um, there's been a lot of American players that have gone over there. And uh, they were in the, you know, Champions League qualifying there and Europa League qualifying. This was something that I wanted to be a part of, um, <clears throat> at least for a year and then see what happened. Um, I had had talks with John Herdman with the national team. You know, I always wanted to be back involved with the national team. And he said, well, if you're playing in USL, you can't be, you know, you won't be, you won't be included you got to make a move to a better team. And, and I agree with him, you know, that I felt personally I could play um, and be a part of that team and help out, but I understood where he was coming from. So that was part of it too, that I needed to make a, a move. And um, I went over there and it was great. There's a good level of play in the first division there. And just unfortunately, you know, whether it's, you know, God's plan or whatever happened, uh, the virus came and that kind of shot down any kind of, opportunity that was that was going to happen um they were waiting on selling a player 
to a Danish team to have the money to do the move. And so I had to wait. And that's why I went for a week to visit my buddy until the paperwork was done. And it just happened right at the time where I was out of contract. And that's just life. So, so who was the buddy you were going to see? Because it's technically uh, my former teammate. It's te- te- this is all technically his fault, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> Those sweets. I know, right? <laughs> so, um, to, just to kind of swing back a little bit to, to what happened, like I, in the documentary, they kind of mentioned a little bit about um, how it happens to fit, fitter people, which is kind of like a, an anomaly, I guess. Um, and you kind of play through it. You, you, there's probably a few warning signs. You just don't t- pay attention to it. Looking back now, do you, do you feel like that there's probably a few things going on that you just kind of ignored, or like did it just was it just like a huge quick onset? Um, that's a good question. No, I, I when I was training. So the thing is, I, I like to 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 note on is that I was coming from a climate that was you know in the thirty high thirties, high forties, or you know early mid forties every day. You know, it's hot in, in Florida. It's humid. Um, and so I'm coming from a climate where I'm living close to the beach. I'm at the beach every day. I'm going for a nice swim in warm water straight to Finland in November where oh, it's, where it's, you know, <laughs> minus is minus five. And you know, the, the change or the poor you know, briefly had, I had a stop in Moscow for a night. So maybe there was something there. The Russians did, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Going from that, you know, training in cut-off shirts to having to wear a toque and gloves at training, it was a different, you know, my body was, you know, thrown into that. And maybe that had something to do with it. But, you know, for the time I was in Finland training for that month, I felt fine. It was only when I landed in, in Stockholm, you know, a week before all this happened, that I didn't feel great. I had some stomach pain, uh, you know, some night sweats not to say normal things, but I wasn't able to not get out of bed or go explore the city or enjoy time with my friends. So I didn't think much of it. I just said, it'll run its course. And actually the day that it happened that I had the heart problem, the cardiac problems, uh, I felt, I felt great. It was, I felt really good in the morning, better than I had the week, you know, the, the previous days. Crazy. It was really strange. Yeah. Really strange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so like, how did it, how did it hit you? Because obviously, like, you know, trying to uh, bring your awareness to all this kind of stuff. Um, like, mm-hmm. what, what would have, like, what, what did, what happened to you? Like, what did you feel? Like, what was yeah. it? Just like a kind of um, punch in the chest, or it, it started in the lower back. I don't know if you, you you've done some uh, an exercise called a Romanian deadlift, where you 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 do a large lift, and maybe the next day your lower back's like, oh man. And you need to roll it out or your, your back's just tight and you use a roller. So throughout the morning, I just had a pain in my lower back and we had been doing, still trying to stay in some shape while we were having a few beers and such. But um, <laughs> and besides that, uh, uh, my, that wasn't in the documentary. My buddy, <laughs> right, my buddy he, uh, he wanted to go get stuff for dinner. So he went and, and the great thing about Europe is that you know you just go downstairs and the grocery store is right there. You come to the market, you just come right back up. Uh, so he wasn't gone for very long, and I told him, "Look, I'm I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to roll on my back. You'll be back in ten minutes or whatever. <clears throat> I'll uh, I'll just hang out here and roll on my back." So he went, and you know he's on. You know he's gone for maybe fifteen minutes, and and within that fifteen to thirty minute time frame, the pain is moving up my back and into 
my upper back and then my arms went numb. And I knew, you know, having, not having, you know, hearing those commercials, like, you know, if you're having a heart attack, you know, your left arm's going numb or there's tingleness. And then my jaw went numb. And then it felt like there was an elephant sitting on my chest. Um, and so I knew something wasn't right because I couldn't get off the ground. I couldn't get off the floor. So it was on my back. And luckily my phone's next to me. Uh, maybe I'm able to yell at Siri to call Nick, my buddy Nick, and calls and I reached and I was able to put on speakerphone. I said, Nick, there's something wrong. You got to come back. Um, and luckily by the time he got back, I, I was able to pull myself up with a chair. I got up on, and I'm holding myself up on a table. And uh, yeah, he was back in time. His, his mother came home from work, took us straight to the hospital. Um, and then I was there for the next two weeks. So luckily he was close. Yeah. Good, job. Good job, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, uh, was there any contact then from the the club in Finland? Because like, did they like keep tabs on what was happening, or were they just like? Um, it was a weird, it was a weird time, Anthony, because I was, it, we were still negotiating back and forth. We were waiting for this player, for them to have the funds to do the, the international transfer transfer certificate to fund you know, the salary, all these things that I hadn't, I, they do different, different business in Europe. Right. So I was just letting my agent do it. That's what I pay him for. So I, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go enjoy my week off. I was supposed to be back in training the next day, but right after I got sick. Um, so yeah, I had to give them a call and say, look, this is, uh, I'm in the hospital. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I won't be back. So the deal has to be put on hold. Um, and that was really the end of it until I, I got the diagnosis and I said, I, yeah, I obviously I can't fulfill my side of the deal. The deal's off. Um, and that was really, that was it. I didn't speak anything more, you know, more to them. They didn't know anything to me. So, you know, that's, that's just the way it was. And, and I got great care in Sweden. You know, it's very similar to how we do it in Canada with our um, social health care. And uh, I can't thank them enough. You know, it was, they just took me right in and took care of me. You know, I don't have a, if I got sick in the States, it would have probably been, you know, half a million dollars in care. So I'm really grateful that that wasn't the case. <laughs> so um, when you, uh, like, I, I know you had to like not do anything for four months. You were kind of like a little bit ahead of schedule and all that kind of stuff. And uh, just on a kind of like a brighter note, like what was it like that first day getting back out there with the ball and like how, how happy were you to actually be able to, to do that? I was really happy. You know, there's a funny story that I haven't really told anybody yet, but it's a good thing to bring it up. Maybe they'll listen to that. Before I was actually cleared, I played in that friendly game with, with the Armada, and I was the goalkeeper because I couldn't run. So they didn't have a goalkeeper on the day. I don't know what happened. Their goalkeeper that was coming on trial got injured or something. So I said I was to Mark. I was like, Mark, come on. I, I'm probably going to get cleared next week just – you know, let me stand and goal. Let me just stand and goal. If we get scored on, who cares? I'm not going to move. I'm not going to move out of my 18. I'm not going to sprint. I'm not going to do anything of that sort. And he's like, okay. So I put on my gloves and uh, I got, I think I got chipped two or three times. I was out playing like a center back sweeper thing and I was passing the ball and it was, it was a really awesome. Uh, but anyways, dude, that was really exciting to, to be back. And but actually the first day of training that I got back, I had to do the beat test. And I said, I said to our, our physical guy, I was like, what? He's like, well, it's a good test to see where you're at. And I almost beat the goalkeeper, so I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, 
Yeah. That was good. So you're the first uh, sweeper keeper. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was the, the typical, typical sweeper keeper, yeah. This is a quick question connected to that one uh, Anthony just asked. Um, how was your first, like, game, your official game, like, your, your, your soccer rust? How was mm. it? Like, did you have, like, three days of, like, ice baths and stuff like that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was pretty sore, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the first game back. Well, the thing was in what the league with the MPSL, I think it's called National Premier Soccer League. I don't know. So it's a bunch of college kids that are playing in the summer. I don't really know too much. So I can't, you know, the, the first couple games we're playing in these rinky, it's almost like a rinky dink ice rink that you would find somewhere in the middle of Canada. This, But imagine that for a soccer field. And so I was really, a couple times thinking to myself, is this really worth Am I really going to go through all this to come back and play? Do I really want to do this? You know, do I really, really? It would be so much easier to just go get a job. But I said, yeah, I got to stick with it. And, uh, yeah, w there was some, you know, playing against younger guys that maybe aren't as experienced. It was a little bit a better transition to get back into the confidence and, and play again. Um, but we, we did play in the U.S. Open Cup. We did play the Tampa Bay Rowdies. And at the time, Joe Cole was on their team. So, Nice. You know, obviously him being older, it was uh, not really great to have to chase him around in the first game back, the first <laughs> official game back. Um, but we ended up winning that game. That was a good good win to come back to. And so he actually told me uh, to go park his car while we were playing the game. And I was like, you know what, Joe, I I'm sorry. I already got I already got a valet job. I'm already parking other people's cars. So <laughs> I was still doing the valet while I was playing. So that's, that's oh, my trick. God. Oh. He said, he said oh something funny. My like, God. Was it park his car or, or go serve his family dinner? Some some terrible English banter. And I said, sorry, Joe, I already got a you, job. You, you're taking the piss. You're, you're lying, right? No, I'm dead serious. That's a, that's a, that's a real quote. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, what an asshole. Crying. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll keep it. Yeah, I'll keep it PG. But he's talking crap in the game. We're winning one zero. I'm just telling him, like, look, Joe, you're lo you're losing to guys that uh, that are you know have day jobs and you know all these things. This is like a pub team, and uh, Joe wasn't having that. So he said, I'll look for you serving my family dinner in Tampa. I said, all right. I really wish I could, Joe, but I, I gotta go. I got another valet job, so yeah. I'll be, <laughs> oh the, I'll be the I'll be the one cooking your food, Joe. <laughs> yeah. uh, and speaking and speaking of cars, I saw on YouTube that you have kind of like a side gig, like pin my right Becky edition, something like that. Well, I, I try to. I'm so I, I don't like social media. I'm not very good at social media, and I I could I, I love cars. I love mm -hmm. being able to, to rebuild them and work on them. I like working with my hands. But I, I did a few videos, and I couldn't do the videoing while I was doing the work. I didn't know the angles. I don't have the equipment. Mm -hmm. And so I, I put a few up, but I, I've done that. I, I still work on cars um, mm -hmm. and try and, you know, buy them for cheap, flip them, maybe uh, make a few, you know, a few extra bucks in profit. You were working uh, on the BMW, I think. Yeah, that does, I've, had, yeah. I've had two BMWs recently, and they've been mm -hmm. uh, money pits, to be honest. But they're fun <laughs> to work on. Older, you know, if you ever get BMWs and they're older, they they just leak oil everywhere. They <laughs> they flash codes. They're just not. They're not so, fun. They're fun vehicles to drive, but they're not good to work on. That, that could be uh, <laughs> that could be you and uh, Richie's uh, new gig once these are done. Forget the, forget yeah. the football agent thing. Pit my ride, yeah. Irish edition. <laughs> yeah, El Paso is not a great place to try and 
flip card is not a great market for it, but uh, I've, I've learned a lot. It's been good. I, I will never pay full price for a car, a brand new car. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm cheap like that. I'll, oh. I'll find something that has potential and fix it for cheaper. So. Oh God, <laughs> you're handy. So you probably do, do your teammates ask you, Hey, like, can you fix my car? Can you change my oil? <laughs> Stuff like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They'll throw me a few bucks if, if but I, no, I, I won't. Uh, if they need a, a battery jumper, you know, there, there may be, there's something they think is wrong with it. They'll, yeah, they'll come ask me first before they go to a mechanic and, you know, whether I give them good information or not, they'll never know. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what? good. Their exhaust just falls off on the highway. Right? Yeah, right. Well, yeah, that's all done for. Yeah. So, so um, we, we don't want to keep you here all night, man. It's been, no. it's been fascinating. Uh, the, the kind of final question I have for you is obviously like your, your sister, uh, um, features quite heavily in the um, in the documentary. Like, how how much of a help was she through the whole thing? Because she seems to have done mm-hmm. quite a lot for you, man. Like the the, the the this the Kickstarter fund and all that kind of stuff. Like, what um like how did she help you through all this? Well, we we talk a lot on the basis. You know, we have the connection of of playing soccer. You know, my my other two sisters did play at some time, but we just don't have that same connection that Janine and I have. Obviously, we're playing professionally together and uh yeah just she was yeah just really um she worries a lot so I tried to just calm her down a little bit she has a different maybe persona than than the rest of my sisters so try and calm her down that way and uh but she she's a it's a good worry you know she cares a lot and uh she you know starting the GoFundMe was a real big thing for me because it helped me you know, I, I took some of that money. I lived on some of that money and I paid the rest on medical bills. I still had uh, a lot of medical bills that I needed to pay. And so for me not to, um, I, I, you know, I had saved quite a bit in my career and, and I was happy with that, but that was gone in, in a matter of days. So that's what it's there for. I was grateful to have that uh, ability. Um, but you know, she was just a, a positive uh, force to say, you know, you'll come back, you'll play again. And, and I'm thankful for that, you know, for her, for doing that. And now to see her doing so well, um, playing for Canada, you know, and doing well in Man City, it's, it's, it's really a great thing to see. And so it's a unique relationship that is, is really cool. And I'll look back on and because not many people that can say, you know, and your sister played, you know, and you played professionally and to have that connection is really cool. So, I can imagine those uh, family dinners, you know, like criticizing <laughs> the game of each other, you know, like yeah. she asks you always like, what should I need to improve? What, what do I need to improve? Does she always seek for advice? You know, like, like professional advice, you know, yeah. you as a, as a bigger brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm able to watch a lot of her games and I know when and not to send, I won't send her text message right after the game. You know, if it, even if it's a, if it's a good result, I'll say good job. If it's a bad result, I'll say, keep your head up. We'll talk tomorrow. Because she's very, you know, all of us are emotional right after a game, mm-hmm. and so I've, I've I've learned that about her. But yeah, she'll she'll ask what she can do better, and um, she's really the only attacker in the family. So uh, I think she learned a lot from maybe the tendencies and telling her, okay, this is what is hard for me to defend. So can you do it that way? Uh, those type of things. But she's really she's learned a lot from the people she's been around. I can't take credit, and I won't take credit for her success because. She's done it herself. I haven't done anything. So who's better? It's a unique, unique. <laughs> it, 
she's better. No, she's, uh, <laughs> the women's game and the men's game. I, I don't like when people compare men and women's game because it's, it's not different. anywhere comparable. Yeah. It's yeah, different. No it's way different. It's way different. There's no comparison. So I feel uh, like that's uh, a whole other topic of conversation. Yeah. But she's done. They, She's done really well, and I, I'm glad where the direction the, the women's game is going. There's more money going to it now it than is. ever, and mm-hmm. they're getting taken care of. And so, uh, are you also happy that you you might get a few uh, free tickets to the Etihad? Oh yeah, we my mom <laughs> and I went on a great trip. Yeah, went on a great trip. Uh, was it not last December? The, the year before, and uh, got to see some great games. I uh, got to sit in a box next to the Sheik. Oh man! For a Champions League game, and they, you know, they give you a three-course dinner. All these things. I was uh, blown away. It was awesome. nice. That's awesome. incredible. It was incredible. Yeah, I wouldn't say the Etihad's the greatest atmosphere compared to the. You know, I'm a Man United fan, so Old Trafford kind of oh, blows out of the water. But yeah. it was a great trip, and um, luckily, you have some really good connections over there to to kind of go. You know, hopefully, when this virus calms down, to go on another trip and and see a bunch of games. And not, not have to pay a lot of money. <laughs> that's that's nice. My my only experience is just like happy hour in the kitchen in the wonders grounds. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a little bit different, Carlos. <laughs> but, but but you must have been like you know when you were in the box and like the, the three course meals come in and then you're just thinking back to those rinky dink grounds in in Jacksonville. Oh, you must yeah. be like, oh wow. my god, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've really made it now, yeah. I think they were they were they were serving guinea fowl, and my buddy that was there with me, he's like, "I've never even heard of that. What is that?" It was, it was fun. Fancy yeah. chicken. Yeah, exactly. Fancy there, little chicken. Fancy little chicken. There you go. So yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun, like hanging out. Uh, we just do we normally at the end of the show we just do a kind of couple of little kind of questions. Uh, Carlos okay. is a question that he always asks everybody. So for right there, Carlos. Yeah, who are your top three defenders? True. In the no. world or in his, like in the history? In the world or history, uh, your top three inspirations. Um, I love Nemanja, Nemanja Vidic. I like John Terry. John Terry, the defender, not the person, obviously, right? Not the person. Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> that's, that's made that clear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I was going to do that, but that, thank you. And uh, I'll say, in my so I guess from my time, I should pick one. I love Chad Marshall. He's a really good friend of mine. Very, very underrated player. He's been MLS MVP many times. Should have had more U.S. national team caps. Really an amazing player. Right. That's awesome. So uh, you're going to play in a uh, five-a-side tournament. You get to pick players Mm -hmm. that you've played alongside. Uh, Who's on your team? Played alongside. I'll pick Carl Howarth. I'll pick Richie Ryan. Omar Bravo. Uh, well, man, so many. You can include yourself. Tony Donatelli. Tony Donatelli. He's a good indoor five-side player. Likes. <laughs> he's still playing, I think. And oh, one more. Oh heck, we'll throw Iguain in there. Why not? <laughs> oh, oh my Boom. god. So, uh, what's the uh, what's what's your um, favorite pair of boots you've ever owned? Oh, that's a great question. Wow. Okay, you remember the total 90s that had the actual 90 on them? Yeah, the Ronaldo ones. The, yes, the Ronaldo. They had the Ronaldinho's in. They had the Ronaldinho's in gold. Um, Rooney had them as those well. Those were my favorites. Yeah, yeah. The circled 90 yeah. on the instep, on the instep of the foot. Those are the best ones. They, best they ones. were, they were sick. Um, the favorite, your favorite uh, kit that you've worn as a player. As a player, um, 
I think the Furies, the red and white, was a nice one with the collar. That was a nice one. I know it was Admiral, which is not the greatest brand, but <laughs> hey, that's the re- retro 70s, man. That's uh, exactly. That's, yeah. I like the collar look. The yeah. collar look is nice. Yeah. Um, and I know in the documentary you mentioned that uh, you're you're almost like like Buddy. You were kind of I was reading a lot and all this kind of stuff. What, what what's your favorite book? Ooh. I mean, so. Um, gosh, there's not really one that stands out amongst the rest, but probably Eleven Rings by, um, it's an autobiography of Phil Jackson. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, it, it was, I finished it right as we were going into the, you know, the last dance that just came out. And so to see, yeah, unbelievable. It, second, uh, second best documentary I've watched after yours, obviously, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll give you five bucks for that. <laughs> you, you can just park uh, my car for me. It's fine. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm really good at. I'm really good at parking cars. Uh, yeah, it's, it, the insight that he had is so. Di- well, the approach that he had is so different than really than anything I've experienced in my career that way. And to manage those personalities for that success, like to have two or three peats is. It's it's all it's the greatest. You look at you look at like uh like you look at Real Madrid during their Galactico phase and how they went through so many coaches and they didn't win an awful lot because there's just so many personalities trying to run the dressing room and Phil Jackson just did it. He you know? used, he he liked to connect the players like he used to do like he treated them differently but at the same time like he made stuff. Right. Like, for example, if you see the last, the last dance, like, he always had a, sp- a special treatment for Rodman because yeah. he was a kind of, like, not a loose cannon, but a player that mm-hmm. you have to, like, a unique player that, that you have to go more deep. So he's playing it like it, it's he, – he, he was such a great He's He's a definition manager. of a loose cannon, man, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> his his yeah. picture's in the dictionary beside loose cannon. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Drew, it's been amazing. Like, it, it, like honestly, your story is – an inspiration you've been through a lot mm-hmm. and uh, the, the, the adversity you've come over um, a lot of kids should pay attention to your story and uh, we look forward to the book you're going to write about this which I, I believe is in the works <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, we'll see yeah I'll have to start typing so I don't, Richie, so I don't forget anything Richie Ryan is going to uh, ghostwriter for you apparently so yeah we'll look, yeah, at, right. <laughs> we'll look forward to that uh, thank you so much man it's been a lot of fun and uh, best thank of luck with the season that's true it's, uh, we're so happy that uh, the USL is back and uh, yeah best luck in the season bud awesome thanks so much thank you guys for having me and uh, it's great talking with you and hopefully we let's keep in touch let's keep in good touch yeah yeah, man it's an honour thank awesome. you Drew thanks guys it's been All right, talk to you there. we Bye. might see you we might see you at a Wanderers game <laughs> yeah no I'll, I'll definitely make it up there I haven't been to Halifax myself so I need to get out there you yeah. love it you can, you can it. say yeah, on the, you can say on Carlos's couch man there you go there you go. That's all I need. There you go. As long as he makes the chicken, it's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I'm, I, I, I'm a good house guest, I promise. Oh, cool. Awesome. All right. Take care, man. See you guys Cheers. See you, Drew. You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.